Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The 2024 Subaru Outback Wilderness is built to take you further off the beaten path. It has 9.5 inches of ground clearance paired with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, plus off-road wheels, rugged all-terrain tires, and advanced dual-function X mode to help get you through deep snow, gravel, and mud. The 2024 Subaru Outback Wilderness. Adventure elevated. To explore all you can do with the rugged Subaru Wilderness family of vehicles, visit Subaru.com wilderness. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in-store at your nearest retailer. July 22, 1945, was a stifling day in Bismarck, North Dakota. Jesse Owens, Olympic gold medalist and holder of over 10 world records for sprinting, knew he had to stay cool if he was going to give a good performance in the coming race. Even though he was years past his prime, Owens still prided himself on giving his all on the track, or wherever it was he was being paid to run. Owens wasn't at a track. And he wasn't racing against other sprinters. Owens would never have a traditional career as a sprinter again. In 1945, he made his living on gimmicky exhibition races during sporting events. Between the fifth and sixth innings of a segregated baseball game between the House of David and Harlem Globetrotters, Owens had his moment. He was going to run three races. Owens' first two races were against the top sprinters on each baseball team. He won these easily, but he knew his real challenge would lie in this third race, against a thoroughbred racehorse named Prince Martin. Owens and Prince Martin both approached the starting line. Owens used a trowel to dig a hole for his feet since he had no starting blocks. Prince Martin pawed at the ground. The starting shot fired, startling Prince Martin. Owens didn't look back to see how the startled horse reacted. He had no time. In a matter of seconds, the race would be over, and every step counted. Though it had been years since he'd competed for Olympic gold, Owens still kept his competitive spirit, even if he was just racing a horse. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Historical Figures on the Parcast Network. Every other Wednesday, we discuss a different person's lasting historical impact, unique personality, and impression on the world around them. Our audio biographies cover big lives, but we like to focus on little-known facts. Today we're discussing Jesse Owens, who is considered one of the greatest athletes of all time. Owens, a black man, competed in the 1936 Berlin Olympics, despite Adolf Hitler's opposition to athletes of color. He won four gold medals and beat or tied nine Olympic records. 
Unfortunately, even these monumental successes didn't spare Owens from racism and segregation when he returned to the United States. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Now, back to the life of Jesse Owens. Before we get into the details of Owens' early life, we should note that some details of his youth are unknown. There aren't many records of Owen's early years, and several sources are contradictory. Most of what we know of his earliest years come from interviews with Owens himself, and he may have misremembered some details. He also may have intentionally embellished because he knew the value of marketing his own story. As a result, it can be tricky to know what's true about Owen's childhood and what information is just the result of good storytelling. We do know that Owens was born on September 12, 1913, to a poor sharecropping family in either Oakville or Danville, Alabama. His full name was James Cleveland Owens, but he went by J.C. He had many siblings. Some sources say he had as many as 10 brothers and sisters. Owen's parents worked six days a week, and their long hours meant that Owens rarely saw them. Surprisingly, Owens wasn't particularly athletic as a child. In fact, he was often sick. He suffered from a number of bouts with pneumonia that nearly killed him. And then, at the age of five, he was struck by a strange, debilitating condition, the specifics of which are unclear to this day. According to some sources, Owens developed painful boils on his skin. Other sources say that a lump formed in his chest, which made it almost impossible for Owens to breathe. Either way, the condition was debilitating and may have even been life-threatening. Based on Owens' description of his symptoms, the bump was likely a tumor. It's unclear what may have caused the boils. Owen's family couldn't afford a doctor, so in 1918, his mother resolved to treat the illness herself, despite a complete lack of any medical training. Owens was five years old when his mother performed amateur surgery on her son within their home. She heated a knife as she forced her son to bite down on a stick. He eventually passed out from the pain as she cut out the lump and the boils from his skin. Owen's mother's extreme solution nearly killed her son, but the surgery worked and Owen's ultimately recovered. His mysterious condition didn't come back and he grew into a healthy young boy. At some point between 1919 and 1924, when Owen's was between six and 11 years old, his family moved from Alabama to Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland was a haven for poor black workers at that time because of its growing economy and progressive racial attitudes. Owens found Cleveland's Bolton Elementary School wholly different from what he'd experienced in Alabama. For one thing, the school was integrated, and he attended class with white students. Thanks to his health issues, Owens had missed a lot of school in Alabama. 
On his first day at Bolton Elementary, school officials decided that he needed to start his curriculum all over from the beginning. So Owens was placed in first grade, in spite of the fact that he was several years older than his classmates. On his first day of class, his teacher asked for his name, and James Cleveland Owens responded with the nickname he'd used since birth, J.C. His teacher misheard his answer and thought he'd said, Jesse. When the shy Owens was too embarrassed to correct her, the name stuck for the rest of his life. Although he quickly advanced from first to second grade, Owens never caught up to his peers and was always a few years older than his classmates. He wasn't a good student, and he often struggled to make even a passing grade. But what he lacked at a desk, he made up for during gym class. When he was in middle school, Owens and the other boys in his class had to run a 60-meter dash, while Charles Riley, the PE teacher and high school track coach, timed them. Owens blew the competition out of the water. This was the first time Owens even realized he had a talent for sprinting, and luckily, Riley was there to see it. With Riley's encouragement and training, Owens quickly became the top athlete in the school. When Owens had to secure an after-school job to help his family make ends meet, Riley agreed to let Owens practice in the morning before school. During their practice sessions, Coach Riley encouraged Owens to adopt a new style of running that would make him even faster. At the time, sprinting was thought of as a display of power. Runners were encouraged to hit their feet against the ground as hard as they could and push through the run. Coach Riley had a different perspective on running, though. He encouraged his sprinters to pretend the track was on fire. Their feet should barely touch the ground as they propelled themselves forward. His coaching style worked. Owens won 75 of the 79 races he ran in high school and went undefeated his senior year. His sprinting success spurred him to try out for the U.S. Olympic team in 1932, when he was only 18. Owens didn't make it past preliminary rounds, but he wasn't discouraged. He'd gotten close enough to know what he wanted, and he wasn't going to stop striving until he could win Olympic gold. Although he wasn't much for academics, Owens did discover the writings of Booker T. Washington during this period of his life. Washington was a black thinker who opposed many equal rights advocates, believing the key to racial equality lay in economic equality. Washington's writings influenced Owens' attitudes towards civil rights and racial relations in America. Owens' personal life became complicated during his senior year when his high school girlfriend, Ruth Solomon, became pregnant. The specifics of what happened next are fuzzy. According to Owens, he immediately tried to do the right thing. Ruth was 16 and too young to be legally married in Ohio. The couple convinced their car-owning friend, David Albritton, to drive them across state lines so they could be married in Pennsylvania. There is no record of a marriage license between the two at any point in the summer of 1932. In fact, the only evidence we have of this elopement is Owen's account of the story, which he told years later. It's likely that he didn't marry Ruth that summer, but told the story in order to protect his and Ruth's reputation. 
Married or not, Ruth's father was horrified to learn of his daughter's unplanned pregnancy, and he ordered Owens to never speak to Ruth again. Owens wasn't there for the birth of his own daughter, Gloria Shirley, on August 8, 1932. While this separation may have been painful, Owens seemed to enjoy his freedom to consider the acceptance letters that were pouring in from colleges around the country. College would have been impossible if he stayed in Cleveland to raise his daughter. In addition, Owens spent his teens and early 20s dating other women. He may have been secretly grateful for the convenient excuse not to settle down quite yet. In June of 1933, 19-year-old Owens ran the 100-yard dash at the National Interscholastic Championship meet in Chicago. By this point, Owens was more than confident about his running ability, but even he never anticipated how this meet would change his life. As was now common, Owens left the competition in the dust. By this point in his career, Owens knew that beating other runners wasn't the challenge. The real challenge was beating his own previous best times, and he did that, completing the race in 9.4 seconds. Not only did Owens beat his own best time, he tied a world record. Thanks to having to repeat grades as a child, Owens was 20 years old, a high school athlete, and he tied with the fastest man on the planet. Owens fielded recruitment offers from numerous colleges, but he soon came across a gross societal problem. At this point in history, the NCAA banned athletic scholarships because any financial benefit, even in the form of free tuition or rooming, would lead athletes to lose their amateur status. Owens was still poor, and he couldn't afford to attend college without financial aid. After Owens gave a radio interview discussing his financial concerns, a Cleveland man named Richard Croson arranged for Owens to receive a well-paying job as an elevator operator in Columbus, Ohio. This was the best offer Owens received, so he agreed to accept the job, move to Columbus, and attend the Ohio State University. In college, Owens' sprinting continued on the successful trajectory he'd begun in high school. Academically, he was still a D student, but he was a top performer on the track. Even athletic success didn't spare Owens from racism and segregation. While Ohio State was an integrated school, black students weren't allowed to live in on-campus housing. When the team traveled for track meets, Owens was often unwelcome in the whites-only hotels and restaurants that his white teammates enjoyed. Owens' frustration with the inequality grew, but he didn't let it detract from his athletic performance. As a freshman, he wasn't allowed to participate on the varsity track team, despite the fact that he was a better runner than any of the upperclassmen by far. On May 5, 1934, Owens ran in a freshman exhibition meet while the varsity team participated in their own meet at the same time. Owens beat school records in the long jump, leaping 23 feet 10 and 3 quarter inches, and in the 120-yard dash, finishing in 11.5 seconds. By the end of the day, nobody was talking about the varsity meet. Owens had upstaged the upperclassmen. 
this was good for the university, which could attract crowds and profit from ticket sales to both freshman and varsity meets. But Owens was anxious to compete against the best runners in the world. He finally had his chance a year later, on May 25, 1935, when he gave an athletic performance that is still regarded as one of the greatest moments in all of sports history. Coming up next, we'll discuss two of the crowning achievements of Owen's sprinting career, the Big Ten Championship and the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now back to the story. Earlier, we talked about Jesse Owens' experiences in high school and as a sprinter at The Ohio State University. Owens had wowed onlookers with his performance during his freshman meet, but he aspired to something greater. He wanted to compete in the upcoming 1936 Olympics. He almost missed out on his chance. One day in late May 1935, 21-year-old Owens was walking down a flight of stairs with his friends. They were relaxed, having a good time, playfully shoving one another when Owens lost his balance. Owens wasn't seriously injured, but his back was sore for days afterward. It's possible that fall down the stairs didn't happen. Owens himself would later contradict his own story, saying he'd fallen and injured his back while playing a game of touch football with his friends. Whatever the cause of the injury, Owens was still tender on the day of the Big Ten Championship in Ann Arbor, Michigan on May 25, 1935. Owens' coach, Larry Snyder, wanted to bench him, but Owens begged him to reconsider. Snyder agreed to let Owens take the meet on an event-by-event basis. If Owens felt okay after his first race, he'd be permitted to compete in the next event, and so on. If Owens' back got worse at any point, he would back out of the meat immediately. Owens sat in a tub of hot water to relax his aching muscles before the meat. After preliminary trials, he periodically applied heat pads to prevent his back muscles from cramping again. Owens was scheduled to participate in four events. 
the 220-yard sprint, the 220-yard low hurdles, the 100-yard dash, and the broad jump, an event today better known as the long jump. His first event, the 100-yard dash, occurred at 3.15 p.m. Owens approached the race with confidence. This was his strongest event, and even though he'd awakened that morning so stiff he couldn't even touch his toes, now the pain seemed to melt away. Owens won. More, he finished the race in 9.4 seconds, tying the same world record that he'd set when he was in high school. Owens didn't have long to relish in his victory because he only had 10 minutes to prepare for his next event, the long jump. Owens only made one jump, fearful that he'd be tempting fate and risking further back injury if he made more attempts. That was enough. His single jump shattered the previous world record of 26 feet 1.8 inches. Owens' leap was a full six inches further at 26 feet 8 and 1 quarter inches. Owens' record would remain unbroken for a quarter of a century after the Big Ten Championship. But in that moment, Owens had no time to celebrate. The 220-yard race was about to begin. He took his mark, got set, and... 20.3 seconds after the race began, Owens finished with another victory. And once again, Owens broke a world record. This was the first time that a single athlete broke two world records in the same track meet. Finally, Owens ended the meet by competing in the 220-yard low hurdles. This was his weakest event, and it didn't help that he'd spent the past 45 minutes moving from one event to the next with no time to rest, recover, or care for his injured back. That said, Owens had already given an incredible showing at the Big Ten Championship. Even if he failed in the 220-yard low hurdles, he could still go back home with the assurance that he'd cemented his place in sports history. The 220-yard low hurdles began at 4 p.m. Owens gave it his all and broke yet another world record when he finished the race after 22.6 seconds. This timing made him the first man to ever complete the race in under 23 seconds. To recap, in the course of 45 minutes, Owens tied or broke a record in each of the four events he competed in, and he did all of this with an injured back. No other athlete had given such a dramatic showing before, and none have since. Although it was Owens showing at the Berlin Olympics that would eventually rocket him to fame, sports commentators and track enthusiasts often point to the Big Ten Championship as the crowning achievement of Owens' sprinting career. In fact, this demonstration has often been cited as one of the greatest athletic performances of all time for any sport. The International Olympic Committee, the Big Ten Conference, and the LA Times have all referred to Owens' May 1935 showing as an important piece of sports history. On a more personal level, Owens left the Big Ten Championship with confirmation of what he'd long suspected. He was one of the world's greatest sprinters. His accomplishments also eased tensions back home. Owens' collegiate victories finally convinced people that Owens had something to offer the world. And his high school girlfriend, Ruth, 
finally received permission from her parents to marry him. The couple married at Ruth's home on July 5, 1935, almost three years after their daughter was born. The reverend of Ruth's church performed the ceremony. Owens was able to stay with his new wife only one night before he took the morning train back to campus the next day to continue his training. The newlywed record holder only had one greater achievement to pursue, Olympic gold. Germany had been selected to host the 1936 Olympic Games in 1931. Germany's selection was viewed as a triumph of international cooperation after World War I. The International Olympic Committee couldn't have foreseen how controversial their choice of host would be two years later when Adolf Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany on January 30, 1933. Hitler banned Jewish German athletes from competing on the German teams. He wanted the Olympics to be a showcase for the Aryan master race he believed in. While the world had yet to witness the horrors of the Holocaust, Hitler's militant racism and anti-Semitism made him unpopular among many worldwide. United States leaders almost decided not to participate in the 1936 Olympic Games. They feared that sending athletes to Berlin might look like an endorsement of Hitler's leadership. In November of 1935, Owens gave a radio interview in which he stated that he believed the U.S. Olympic athletes shouldn't participate in games in Hitler's Germany. Later, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, Owens reversed his line of thinking. It's most likely that Owens didn't have much patience for the political debates around the Olympic Games. He knew his future lay in competing for the gold and he didn't want his career to be derailed by politics. In addition, Owens was frustrated by what he saw as hypocrisy from the American government. He'd experienced racial discrimination for his entire life in his home country, and he thought it was ridiculous for the United States Olympic Committee to criticize Hitler for his racist policies, as though the U.S. didn't have its own share of discrimination. On December 8, 1935, the U.S.'s Amateur Athletic Union determined that the Olympics should be an event held in the spirit of international cooperation, not an opportunity to make political statements. They would not bar athletes from competing in Berlin. The U.S. Olympic trials were held on July 11th and 12th, 1936, in New York City. 22-year-old Jesse Owens easily secured himself a spot racing in the 100-meter dash, 200-meter dash, and the long jump. The night after the trials, Owens had the opportunity to meet famed baseball player Babe Ruth. While the men chatted, Ruth gave Owens a key lesson on the importance of confidence, saying, quote, I succeed because I know I'm going to hit a home run just about every time I swing that friggin' bat. And so on July 15, 1936, Jesse Owens and the rest of the American Olympic team boarded the SS Manhattan bound for Berlin, Germany. Nine days later, on July 24th, Jesse Owens stepped off the SS Manhattan and into a Berlin that was fully prepared to display the grandeur of Germany. 
Owens was scheduled to compete in several preliminary qualifying heats the very first day of the Games, so he spent the night of August 1, 1936, alone in his room, resting and mentally preparing. He actually missed the very first Olympic torch relay and lighting. On the afternoon of August 3rd, Owens competed in his first event, the 100-meter dash. As you might imagine, the race wasn't even close. Owens finished the race in 10.3 seconds. The second-place runner was still a full yard behind him as Owens burst across the finish line. While the enthralled crowd cheered and chanted his name, Owens took a victory lap around the track. He'd done it. He'd finally won an Olympic gold medal. Adolf Hitler left the venue shortly before the race so that he wouldn't be expected to congratulate the black athlete after his victory. But this snub didn't throw Owens off his game. On the afternoon of August 4th, he attended qualifying preliminaries for the long jump. Owens struggled to get his footing right and repeatedly scratched which means he stepped slightly over the boundary line when jumping, disqualifying his first several jumps. Although no record exists of such an encounter, the legend has it that before his final chance to jump, Owens had a brief discussion with Lutz Long, a German long jumper. Long recommended that Jesse mark a spot on the track about six inches before the takeoff board. If Owens leapt from this earlier mark, he was guaranteed not to scratch. Owens tried this technique, and it worked. He successfully qualified to compete in the final event, which was held the same day. When the real event began, it soon became clear that two athletes, Jesse Owens for the U.S. team and Lutz Long representing Germany, were significantly better than the rest of the competition and would battle for the gold. Owens and Long tied after each lap 25 feet, 9 and 3 quarter inches. On his second jump, Owens pulled into the lead. And on his third jump, Owens secured his victory and a new Olympic record when he leapt 26 feet, 5 and a quarter inches. Owens' winning streak continued when, the next afternoon, he once more took the gold in the 200-meter dash and set yet another Olympic record. With his third gold medal, Owens tied the record for the most medals a single athlete ever won during a single Olympics. If his victories had ended there, he would have already established himself as one of the greatest athletes in Olympic history. And Owens did think he was done. He'd only qualified for the Olympics in three events. After the evening of August 5th, he planned to spend the rest of the Olympics resting and watching other competitions. But Owens never anticipated that the American coaches would decide at the last minute to bench two runners who were slated to compete in the 400-meter relay team. The official story that the coaches gave was that these two runners, Marty Glickman and Sam Stoller, didn't have enough experience to compete in the games, despite the fact that both men had placed ahead of all the other relay runners in the Olympic trials. That's suspicious. It is. It's far more likely that Glickman and Stoller were pulled from the team last minute because they were Jewish. While the United States Olympic team had no great love of Hitler, they may also have been encouraged to cater to his anti-Semitic beliefs for the sake of politics. 
Hitler had no great love of black athletes either, but he may have found Owen's victory more acceptable than a win for Jewish competitors. Little is known about how the American coaches broke the news to Glickman and Stoller, or the conversation that ensued the morning of Friday, August 7th. But some reports suggest that Owens didn't stand up for his Jewish colleagues. He had the opportunity to race for a fourth gold medal, and he wanted to try for it. The next day, Owens ran the first leg of the race. His team broke another Olympic record, finishing in 39.8 seconds and securing another gold medal. By the end of the 1936 Olympic Games, Jesse Owens had won four gold medals and broke or tied nine Olympic records, including the record for the most gold medals won in a single Olympics game. This was in addition to the previous records he'd broken in college and high school. Owens' performance at the Olympics was larger than a pursuit of his own success and glory, however, as a black man, Every event Owens won served as a repudiation of Adolf Hitler's racist attitudes. This was ironic, given Owens' desire not to involve himself in racial politics. But regardless of his own desires, Owens would soon serve as a symbol for black empowerment in America. Unfortunately, his symbolic victory didn't translate into meaningful change for many minorities. Owens left Germany on August 9th, and Hitler and the Nazi party continued their intolerant practices, including the Holocaust. And back in the United States of America, Owens would soon learn that even his Olympic victories wouldn't spare him from segregation and white supremacy back home. Coming up, we'll talk about Owens' career after the Olympics and how he spent most of his adult life broke and struggling to find work. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The best of Easter begins with a full honey bake spread. Mm. It's the thing that brings flavor to all the fun and festivities. Ooh. The bites that make all your guests grateful that Easter's here a little early this year. Enjoy the sweet and crunchy glaze of Honey Bake's bone-in half ham, mouth-watering sides, and desserts. Mm. And make this year's Easter the best-tasting one yet. Cheers. Every bite is a celebration with the Honey Baked Ham Company. Now, back to the story. Jesse Owens reached the pinnacle of his career when he gave a record-breaking showing at the Big Ten Championship, and shortly thereafter, repeated the glory when he won four gold medals during the 1936 Berlin Olympic Games. After winning his four medals, 22-year-old Jesse Owens left Germany by train on August 9, 1936. The next day, he began a tour with the Amateur Athletic Union through Europe. Owens, along with other American Olympic athletes, was booked to perform in exhibition events throughout the continent. This was a way for spectators who hadn't attended the Olympics to get a chance to see Olympic athletes in person. These sorts of post-game tours are still common practice today. Unfortunately, this tour was less than beneficial for Owens. 
He'd given all that he had in the Olympic Games, and he was tired. And now the constant travel and racing left him physically exhausted. He frequently lost exhibition races, finishing slower and slower. In addition to his poor performance, Owens also missed his home and his family. He still hadn't finished his college degree, and it had been weeks since he'd seen his wife, Ruth, or his daughter, Gloria. Owens also felt that the exhibition races were a bad deal for him financially. In order to maintain his status as an amateur athlete, Owens couldn't receive any payment. But the Amateur Athletic Union made a profit selling tickets for Owens' exhibition races. Meanwhile, telegrams poured in from American companies that wanted to offer Owens generous salaries for promotional appearances back in the States. Owens began to wonder why should he continue to underperform for free in Europe when he could get rich in the United States. That seems like a pretty easy decision. Owens certainly thought so. The one drawback was that if Owens angered the amateur athletic union, he might lose the shot to ever compete as an amateur athlete again, which meant he'd be barred from the Olympics and collegiate-level athletics. But given the opportunity to get rich with professional exhibition races, Owens was willing to take the loss. On the morning of August 16th, the rest of the Olympic athletes were supposed to take a flight from London to Stockholm, but Owens never arrived at the airport. Three days later, he boarded the RMS Queen Mary. He was coming home. Owens returned to the United States on August 23, 1936. He received a hero's welcome with ticker tape parades, press conferences, and public parties. However, there was one honor Owens expected but didn't receive. At that time, it was traditional for the U.S. president to invite any American Olympic victors to visit him in the White House. But President Franklin D. Roosevelt never extended an invitation to Owens. This was probably due to the strong culture of racial segregation that was the norm in 1936 America. In a telegram to an acquaintance, Owens expressed his frustration with Roosevelt, saying, quote, Hitler didn't snub me. It was our president who snubbed me. The president didn't even send me a telegram. Immediately after he returned to America, Owens did a series of appearances and promotions. He was too busy living as a celebrity to even think about returning to school. Unfortunately, the most lucrative offers he'd received fell through. Soon, Owens realized he'd made a huge mistake. He made enough money to lose his amateur athlete status, but as more time passed and the Olympics were less recent in the minds of the public, he received fewer and fewer offers and struggled to make ends meet. The Amateur Athletics Union wasn't inclined to do Owens any favors either, particularly after he'd quit the European Exhibition Tour. Owens struggled to make enough money to support his family. His one great skill, the ability to run faster than any other man on earth, didn't translate into many traditional career paths. Owens relied on sprinting expositions for cash. He would attend baseball games and race players between innings. One of Owens' most impressive feats was racing against horses before, after, and sometimes during the games. Owens had to travel along with teams, racing in a different city for every exhibition. 
For the race, Owens and a horse would line up at one side of the field. Then Owens and the horse would race, and most of the time, Owens would win. That's impressive, if not entirely honest. Owens did what he could to stack the race in his favor. The man who fired the starting gun would always stand as close to the horse as he safely could. The sound of the gunshot would then startle the horse, causing it to rear. By the time the horse began running, Owens would already be halfway to the finish line. And then the finish was often very close. Even with these accommodations, Owens' wins in these races are still pretty remarkable. They are, but Jesse thought they were beneath the dignity of such an accomplished Olympic athlete. Unfortunately, he struggled to make ends meet and took the gigs that paid, not the gigs he wanted. Owens toiled at a series of odd jobs for over a decade. He worked on political campaigns, led a 12-man brass band, founded a dry-cleaning business, and worked as a personnel officer for Ford Motor Company. Most of these jobs required him to travel, meaning he spent little time with his family and finishing his degree was impossible. He and Ruth had another daughter in 1937, who was essentially a stranger to Owens. In 1940, Owen's entire family dynamic changed when his mother passed away and his third daughter was born. Eager to be close to family again, Owen's resolved to return to Ohio and finally complete his degree. But tragically, Owen's father died of a heart attack during the last semester he spent in college. He was grieving two parents and working to support his family. He just wasn't able to give the time he needed to his degree. He was forced to drop out after a little more than a year. At the age of 27, Owens wasn't any better of a student than he'd been the first time around. After his failure to perform in school, Owens returned to his lifestyle of low-paying jobs and traveled throughout the country. It was during this stressful period of his life that Owens began to smoke cigarettes, usually blowing through a pack a day. At this point, Jesse Owens seemed destined to die in obscurity. But his fate changed in 1949. That year, he accepted a job as a celebrity spokesperson. Television was new technology, and public relations firms were discovering the value in hiring celebrities for TV commercials. And while Owens was several years past his Olympic prime, he was still a recognizable enough name to find a place in public relations and advertising. Today, we're used to seeing athletes advertising any number of products, but this didn't become the norm until after Owens kicked off his career. In fact, Owens was, in many ways, the inventor of the modern celebrity endorsement culture. Once again, Owens became a household name as he appeared on television, radio, and in print. He advertised products as varied as dry cleaners and insurance plans. Owens' star was rising, and American culture was changing as well. The civil rights era was just beginning, and many black activists wondered if Owens would get involved in the movement. They remembered the power of his victory in the 1936 Berlin Olympics and hoped that Owens could serve as a similarly inspirational figure in 1960s America. Except, bizarre as it may sound, Owens didn't agree with the actions of the civil rights era. That's shocking, especially after all the racial discrimination he'd experienced in his lifetime. 
Owens felt that the civil rights movement went too far, especially with marches and protests that occasionally erupted into violent riots. Much like Booker T. Washington, the black thinker Owens discovered in high school, Owens thought that the key to black people's advancement lay in gaining economic power. Just as Owens had made his fortune in public relations, he thought that other poor black Americans just needed good jobs and economic opportunity. Disruptive political protest did more harm than good, in Owens' opinion, as he feared that civil rights activities only served to alienate powerful and wealthy white business owners. Owens found his beliefs under unexpected scrutiny after the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Mexico. That year, two black American sprinters, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, finished the 200-meter dash in first and third place, respectively. During the medal ceremony, the two sprinters raised their hands and made fists in solidarity with the black power movement. This was despite the International Olympic Committee's ban on political demonstrations. Owens, who was in Mexico City as a spectator, met with Smith and Carlos and encouraged them to apologize and promised to avoid any further demonstrations. His pleas went nowhere. To demonstrate that not all black people were civil rights activists, in 1970, Owens wrote his autobiography called Black Think, My Life as Black Man and White Man. In Black Think, Owens asserted, among other things, that racism was over and any civil rights leaders who claimed otherwise were simply looking for a handout. He suggested that the black rights movement went too far and that the movement was rooted in racism against white people. One particularly controversial line he wrote was, if a black man, quote, doesn't succeed in today's America, it is because he has chosen to fail. Owen's stance made him highly controversial among civil rights activists. The backlash was so severe, he retracted his earlier statement and wrote a new book titled I Have Changed, which was published in 1972. Around the fall of 1979, 66-year-old Owens began to frequently complain of fatigue. He found he had difficulty catching his breath. That breathlessness developed into a severe cough. After weeks of being unable to fight off what he thought was a cold, he finally went to a doctor on December 12th and received a troubling diagnosis. Owens wasn't ill from a cold at all. As a cigarette smoker for decades, Owens had lung cancer. And the disease was well advanced. Doctors gave him only three months to live. With chemotherapy treatments, Owen survived three and a half months before he checked back into the hospital the last time, on March 21, 1980. Early on the morning of March 31st, after two days in a coma at a Tucson hospital, Owen succumbed to pneumonia and passed away. He was 66 years old. Jesse Owens was buried on April 4, 1980, at the Oakwood Cemetery in Chicago. 2,000 mourners attended despite the frigid, snowy day. Owens' pallbearers included Olympic athletes, Marty Glickman, the Jewish runner who'd been benched from the 4x100 relay in the 1936 Olympics, was there, as were Owens' old coaches. Jesse Owens was inarguably one of the greatest athletes of all time. 
He was only able to compete in a single Olympics, but that one appearance still cemented him as one of history's fastest sprinters. In addition to his athletic legacy, Owens also served as a powerful symbol for racial equality. Although he was critical of the civil rights movement at the end of his life, Owens' performance in Hitler's Germany remained a powerful symbol then and now. Owens demonstrated that skin color doesn't determine greatness, and his defiance of Hitler's racist attitudes served as a symbol of bravery when the world needed inspiration. Thanks for tuning in to Historical Figures. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode. You can find all previous episodes of Historical Figures, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Historical Figures was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Dick Schroeder. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Historical Figures is written by Angela Jorgensen and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.